Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we're looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Over these recent weeks as we've studied about the events of what the Apostle Peter here in verse 3 calls the last days, our study has helped us to understand that all of time, all of time, whether it be the beginning of time, or the day of these apostles, or the current day that we live in, or the very end of time. It's all being determined, listen, it's all being determined and carried forward within a pre-designed plan of God. Every step, every event, every behavior of men, everything that has taken place and everything that will take place yet in the future is all in accordance with a specific plan that God has made. Now, how can we know that to be so? Because most people don't believe that. Most people believe that things just happen. But may I say to you, again, it's all part of a very specific plan that God has. And again, the question, how do we know that? By simply reading these scriptures that we're reading now. Here hundreds, even thousands of years before these various events were to take place, God speaking through His prophets plainly and clearly prophesied about those things to come. And those things have taken place exactly as God prophesied that they would. And He clearly did not just see ahead as some would believe. Look ahead as if God had to look on ahead as if God can't see everything all at one time the way He can, but that He has to somehow look ahead. It's not as if He did that, to look ahead and to see what might take place. And it's not as if He simply allowed it to take place. In other words, that He would step back and say, well, I'm going to let you all take care of this. It's not as if He does that. He doesn't just allow things to take place. He has put His hand into every part of all that's taking place. And He has guided, carefully guided, every step. Now yes, yes, men and women do exercise their free will in all of it. Right now during these days that we live in, we can see men's free will being exercised all in what Paul's letter to Timothy tells us is the last days. Let me read these again for us. This is 2 Timothy 
3.1. But understand this, that in the last days, these days, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now again, I've asked this question in earlier messages, but do these behaviors not perfectly describe, perfectly describe, with great detail and accuracy, many, many of the people and the culture of this day that we live in? And yes, as these words plainly show us, man's free will is ever and always at work in all that's taking place. But part of this mysterious nature and sovereign power of God is that man's free will is never completely independent of God's will. Man's free will and God's free will are often so intertwined together that we're unable to discern which is taking place at any one moment. It may look like your will or someone else's will, but yet it's God's hand in there. God's sovereign will is always so powerfully at work that even during those moments when the intentional free will actions and behaviors of men are being what would appear to be freely exercised, God's sovereign will is still ever and always governing everything that's taking place. It's as simple as the words of Proverbs 16.9 where we're told the mind of man plans his ways but the Lord directs his step. That is a truth. An absolute truth. And so it will also be then involving the events and the behaviors of men and women in the last days. Men and women will do what they do, both good things and evil things. But God will direct those many behaviors and events towards a conclusion of His choice. And He will bring about the closing act of this great drama of mankind. Again, the question, how do we know that to be so? It's simple. We have the script right here in front of us. We have the script already written out. It's in this book of Revelation that we're getting ready to study and also in the book of Daniel and also in Ezekiel and Joel and others. Now question, why can't the average person out there in the world simply read these same words and relate to everything that's taking place? Why don't we see these kinds of comments about the last days on Fox News or CNN or any of those. We see a lot of it being reported, but they report it as being just happenstance or this person doing this or this person doing that. Why can't they recognize that it's part of this script that's already been written out? The answer is these mysteries of God and their meanings were never intended to be understood by people outside the family. And by the family I mean that As believers, you and I are sons and daughters of God. He intends just certain things for His family 
for His disciples. He says so in these verses that I quote often from 1 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why that CNN reporter can look at the same thing that you're looking at, and they have a whole different understanding. Not even close to what the reality is. The secret mysteries of God that are given within these, these scriptures can only be discerned by the Spirit of God as He dwells within us. And it's only in and through His presence within us that our minds are then able to receive and to comprehend truths like these. Truths that we've never seen before. Truths that those natural minds are not able to comprehend. It's really just as Jesus explained to His disciples when He was giving this parable of the soils. He said, these truths are only given so you, my disciples, can understand them. You who would love me and follow after me. You and me as His disciples. And not by other people. That's why you and I are here in this church today. And we're stirred by what we're reading. God's Spirit is revealing that these prophecies about the soon coming end are really true. He doesn't want you and me to be surprised, caught off guard as He unfolds His plan each day. I'd like for you, if you would, to turn to the book of Revelation. And we're going to start this week to work our way through uh, some of the beginning words of these prophecies. And again, I want us to understand that what we're going to study here is an unchangeable script Nothing that you or I or anyone else can do will ever change one thing that's written in this book. It's unchangeable. It is God working out this final act of this drama of mankind. And again, I want to repeat what I said a moment ago. I want us to understand that God just doesn't just know about it. That's one of the fallacies of so many otherwise devout believing Christians that they believe that God just knows about what's going to take place. Yes, He does. But He only knows about it because He's part of it. He doesn't just allow things to take place. As I said a moment ago, His hand is ever and always intimately involved in as the first cause. It's an important concept. His hand is always the first cause of everything that takes place. Now, here in chapter 1, and I'm not going to read much out of chapters 1 through 3, but I do want to give us an understanding of what is in the first three chapters because they are foundational to our understanding of all of the things that are going to happen next. But here in these three chapters, we're told plainly that these words, these prophecies that are given here came directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Yes, some of it was delivered by angels, but He is ever and always the Word of God and these are an expression of Him and the things that He intends to do during these last days. And this book, by the way, this book of Revelation is ultimately about Him, about the Lord Jesus and about Him coming to return to reclaim his purchased possession 
because we do belong to Him. He paid the price. And He's coming back. Now here in these first three chapters, the Lord is doing, the Lord Jesus is doing much on the same order that Jacob did when He called His sons to Him just before He died. He called His twelve sons together, saying to them, Now gather around. This is Genesis 49.1. Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. That's what the Lord Jesus is doing here in these chapters of Revelation. He begins this book of Revelation by calling His sons together for some final words. And He's writing some final letters to His church. Those are His sons. His church being in the form of seven congregations that existed during the days of the Apostle John, the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, church of Pergamum, church of Thyatira, church of Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. He's writing these letters. He's saying, I'm going to tell you what's going to take place in the future. You're my sons, and I want you to know about it. But now these letters are also intended for all the churches all the congregations that will exist all during the the coming generations, even to our day, this church, you. Some of the churches being faithful to God, but others that weren't. In these letters, Jesus gives stern warnings to some of the churches. For some of them had turned back and descended into apostasy, this falling away from the truth and into sinful behaviors. He writes to the church of Ephesus here. He says, you've done so well, but then you left your first love. And he says, I hold that against you. And then to Thyatira, he wrote, you condone, you even promote sexual immorality. And he goes on and on with some of these churches worse than the others, some better. But sadly, such is the course that so many of our modern day churches, and I'm talking about the congregations all around us and all out into all of the world, so many of them have followed the same kind of paths that these churches here. They started with excellent beginnings. There are churches starting every day, and you can see the little groups, they get together and they just have this wonderful desire to serve the Lord and they get together and they form their church and everything works out really well. Excellent beginnings. And then later though, later they start to drift. And we see so many churches that have done that. They leave their first love, the love of Christ, the Lord Jesus. And they descend into these same conditions that are described here in these letters. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 describes it. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Looks like a good church. Some of them got 30,000 members. Some of them doing well within that church congregation, but others not. He's saying that took place then. And this is what's going to take place in the end days. And that's going to be part of why I'm going to call it all to a close. But thankfully here at the end of chapter 3, he doesn't leave us with just condemning words towards some of these churches. He gives a, an encouraging promise. He says, 
in uh, chapter 3, verse 21, says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So if you turn from your ways, then I'll grant you to sit with me on my throne. Now again, these letters to these churches are setting the stage for all that is going to take place next. All the things that God intends to do as He calls these days of the earth to a close. Now the assumption that we reach from reading these letters is that there will come a time when the church on this earth has reached some form of completion of their calling. Whether they've done a good job or not. He writes to these churches and then he stops. They have reached this end of what he wanted them to accomplish. And it's then that God will call everything to a close. Beginning with the most devastating event in the history of mankind. And that is the rapture. And it's been clearly noted by Bible scholars that after the end of chapter 3, the end of this chapter 3, there is no further mention of the church. It's not mentioned. The church is not mentioned throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. So then after these warnings that he gives to the church, that's when the rapture is going to take place. When he says, when he has called all of his sons to him and he says, this is my last plea to you. Turn. And then he'll call everything to a close, first beginning with the rapture. And he'll just rapture uh, the church off of the earth. And let me just read those words again because I love these words. First Thessalonians 4. It's then that the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now I know you and I have talked about these things. I want us to fully understand what this rapture is all about. It is when all believers on this earth are suddenly caught up into the heavens with the Lord Jesus to be there with Him forever. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye with no warning. And as Jesus said in Matthew 24, two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. And so He warns, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. And no, we'll not know that exact moment when the rapture is going to take place. It'll surprise us. And we won't know exactly what events will lead up to that moment. Now many people have speculated, and I along with them, unfortunately. But we do know from these scriptures that there will be signs that will precede the rapture. And we've read these in the past, but I'm going to read them again. They're in Matthew 24. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So we're hearing of wars and rumors of wars. But he said, it's not quite time yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are just the beginning of the sorrows. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Let me say to you, all of this is taking place even now. But one of the difficult things that the Bible scholars have is to determine how many of these things that I just read about will take place before the rapture and how much will take place afterwards. Because that appears to be the way it's going to be. That some of these things are going to take place before we are raptured off of this earth. And we can see them taking place. It's already, especially, I keep pointing to the Mideast, Christians in Syria and Iraq are being especially targeted by the Muslims and especially ISIS. And more and more I see false prophets preaching in our television programs, television ministries, and I see false prophets and hear them uh, on the internet. Matthew 24, verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, leading us away from the truth. They are just having free reign in our churches in America today, preaching heresy. And there are so many weak-willed and unstable listeners. And by the way, those are words that right here in Scripture. But they desire to hear those things, that false gospel. Again, by God's own design, it will not be known when the rapture will take place. And it does seem that there will be a considerable amount of suffering for you and I, for believers, months, perhaps even years before we're raptured out of the tribulation. And it'll be during those days that world leaders will begin to emerge. Those that will later be seen to have been taken over by these strong demons. And those world leaders will form alliances between them. And they'll deceive many into joining with them and in their schemes. Do you not see that taking place right now? All these alliances that are taking place now in the Mideast. It's very clear. Just look at what's taken place in the last couple of years. This treaty, this nuclear treaty with Iran... Folks, that was all of these national leaders over there getting together of which we joined right in with them. Forming alliances. That was absolutely an evil treaty. Nothing good in it. And Russia has set up bases now in Syria just 30 to 60 miles away from the border of Israel. Alliances being formed and their whole purpose is to bring evil. Now, it's worthy to remember that these troubles that involve Christian believers will always be at the hands of men and not by the hand of God. God's wrath, the things that we're going to be studying about over the next couple of weeks, God's wrath is only intended for those who have rejected Him, who are unbelievers. But then, after this predetermined time and before that great tribulation wrath of God descends Uh, upon the people of the earth, God will then 
suddenly. That's when He will suddenly rapture the believers off the earth. Now, as we move into chapter 4, we see that much is also taking place up in heaven. We're seeing all these things that are taking place here on the earth. But there are a whole bunch of things that are taking place there in heaven. As these national leaders are mistreating people and are forming alliances and setting themselves up for what they're going to be doing during the tribulation, God is also doing things up in heaven. In chapter 4, we'll just touch on that before we close. In chapter 4, please, I invite you to read it. Suddenly, the doors of heaven are open. And we're able to look inside and see all these many things that are taking place. And they're taking place immediately after the rapture. So we're already up there when these words of chapter 4 and chapter 5 take place. We're able to see things that we had never seen before. The throne of God and gathered around His throne, all these angels and living creatures and elders and all of the raptured saints, you and me, that's where we are. And there within that heavenly scene, God reveals that it's time to begin this final stage of the plan for this earth and for all the people on it. And it begins there with this great scroll. They bring out this great scroll that needs to be opened. A scroll that has seven seals that are all sealed within the scroll. And each one of those seals cloaking events that are going to take place during the tribulation. The wrath of God coming upon the people of the earth and upon the earth. Very painful, horribly painful events. Events that will eventually lead to the eternal judgment being carried out over all the earth. And as they bring this great scroll out there, there is this resounding question being cried out through the heavens. Who is worthy to open this scroll and to begin to declare these judgments upon the earth? And they keep crying out, Who is worthy to open the scroll? And then the answer, Jesus steps forward. And it will be Jesus. And Jesus alone who is worthy then to open that scroll and to begin this final judgment upon the earth. Why is He and He alone worthy to open the scroll? It's because He alone paid the price to purchase the redeemed from the earth. I've got to leave us there and we'll pick back up, Lord willing, next week. But may I read this from chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. And they sang a new song. These are the people and the angels gathered around the throne of God. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests of our God. And they will reign over the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might 
and honor and glory and blessing. Praise be to God. Let's pray.